the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. We're going to be taking a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. This brief passage of Scripture contains three things for us. First, a fundamental and a powerful truth. Second, it contains, frankly, a frightening calling or a frightening reality. And last, it contains a, a section of scripture that I found difficult to work out. These four verses tell us that the message that Paul preached was the word of God, not the word of any human being. These verses tell us that coming to trust in Jesus brought with it persecution for the Thessalonian Christians, as it had for every Christian at this point who had come to trust in Jesus. And they tell us that the gospel was opposed and is opposed by people of all manner of different backgrounds, but that God always has the final word. So let's look at the text today, and let's break it down to its three parts. First, the passage talks about God's word. Second, it talks about the church's suffering. And last, it talks about God's wrath. These are the three things addressed by the passage today. And so let's take one, take them bit by bit. First, let's take a look at at God's word. This is the first verse, the first section of the passage in front of us today. Verse 13 says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This still is a part of the introduction that Paul is offering to the Thessalonian Christians. And if you've been here throughout the series, you can probably hear repeated some of the things that we can find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. These themes are recapitulated here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If your Bible is still open, you can take a look with me that Paul is returning to mentioning gratitude and thankfulness, just as he did in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. That's the way that he begins this message to the Thessalonian Christians. He talks about how he is constantly thanking God for them. And now here in chapter 2, verse 13, he returns to this theme of gratitude, and we can see that he is filled up to the brim and overflowing with gratitude for the Thessalonian Christians, and for one particular aspect of what characterized the Thessalonian Christians. He is thankful for the fact that when he came to the Thessalonians, they received the gospel message for what it actually is. That when he came to them preaching the gospel of salvation by grace alone, in Christ Jesus alone, 
They received it as not just Paul's ideas or notions, but they received that as the word of God. As he preached the Bible, they received the Bible as the word of God, what it really is. And this makes Paul constantly thank God. If something makes you constantly thank God, it's clearly a big deal. It's clearly something that's of the utmost importance. And I want for us to notice the three things, the three aspects of this message that makes Paul thank God. Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing. That when they heard it, they accepted it. That when they heard the message, they accepted the message. This talks about a fundamental reality. People need to hear the word of God. The word of God needs to be preached. It needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be spoken. Verse 13 again, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. Paul talks about when he came to the Thessalonians, he came a-preaching. He came a-proclaiming. And as he preached the word, the Thessalonians believed. Now, it can be tempting for us to believe that the proclamation of the word of God maybe isn't sufficient. Maybe it's good if we add something to it. I remember one time, to try to illustrate this, I was interviewing at a church. Um, I was in seminary. I was at Kelvin Seminary. I was trying to decide where I would serve. I'm so thankful I ended up coming here. One interview that I flew to, I remember more distinctly than the others because it ended up becoming something of a confrontational or adversarial interview. And the, uh, the head of the search team was a really capable person, and she told me about some of the experiences that she had had in churches. And she said, you know, I, I went to a church service a couple weeks ago that I really appreciated. She's like, it didn't have any singing. It didn't have any message. It, did, it only was a concert this Sunday morning. She said they were, there was this incredible orchestra that was on the stage, and for the hour that we were there, we just heard the orchestral music. She's like, I really want for that to happen more often at this church. I want for us to have less of the singing and the preaching. I want for us to be able to have more more concerts or more things like that on Sunday morning. She's like, I find that I get a greater sense of God in that way than through preaching. And I said, well, respectfully, you're talking to the wrong person then. I mean, this is, I'm not the right person to come and to to lead, lead concerts instead of having the preaching of the word. And I, I think that she was a well-intentioned person, but this is something that we can fall into believing that the, the word of God offered up is not enough, or maybe that it's boring, or maybe that it doesn't give us the sense of God that something else can. Well, let me tell you this morning that there was nothing more important to Paul than the proclamation of the word of God, and there ain't nothing more important in the life of the church than the word of God. And there's nothing that should replace it. And there's nothing in the universe more authoritative than the word of God. We can't trust anything else. We can't ground ourselves on anything else. Nothing else should be central in our life. Anything else is simply human means. The word of God is the word of God. And it's enough. And it needs to be preached. It needs to be spoken. It needs to be proclaimed. The word of God needs to be central in the life of the church. It needs to be central in the life of the missionaries that take the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a world that needs it. The word of God needs to be central in the life of the Christian. In the life of the Christian who is, is bold enough to tell someone, let me tell you about my king. Let me tell you about my Lord. Let me tell you about the word of God. 
I remember being really moved by the story of a, a woman that I was speaking to in Italy once. I was in Italy with a program through Wheaton College, and we had a tour guide who herself was a Christian, and she told us about how she came to faith in Jesus. She said that there were missionaries that came to Italy that set up shop, that set up a tent for the course of a week. She talked about how at the time where they had, uh, they had come to, to set up shop and to preach the gospel, she said that she was an old-school Mussolini fascist. And she liked to insult the missionaries who had come to preach the gospel. She said, I didn't despise them or dislike them, though she said, I did despise their message. She talked about how she would have the missionaries over for meals at her house, and she would make fun of them for coming there and just preaching the gospel. She said that they were there for, for the course of a week, maybe two, and she said that she was there all the time. And that after, the, after the, the worship services, after the preaching of the gospel, after a call to respond, after that was all done, she would just make fun of the missionaries for the foolishness of their message, for what she believed to be a foolish message. And she said, but let me tell you, something happened the last day of that evangelistic meeting. They set up one more time a podium from which to preach the message of the gospel, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. She said at the very end of the proclamation, they said, now if there's anybody here that wants to trust in Jesus, would you come forward and talk to us and we will explain to you how you can pray to accept Christ Jesus as your Lord. Just come on forward and talk to us. And this woman said, I'll tell you what, something astounding happened. She's like, I don't know how it happened, but I stood up. She's like, I didn't want that to happen, but I stood up, and then I started walking forward, and I remember feeling like I was having this out-of-body experience. She thought, I need to go back and sit down, but my legs kept walking me forward to the the front of the tent that day. And she said she got to the very front, and, and some of the missionaries looked at her, and they asked, have you come to make fun of us again? And she said, no, this time I've come to trust in Jesus. And she said, and that day, Because I heard that foolish message, I repented of my sins and I trusted in Jesus and it was the greatest day of my life. And it happened because some missionaries went to Italy and told people about Jesus and told people what the Bible said. And the reason that this woman was able to to come to a saving faith in Jesus is that the Bible The gospel message, that which is contained in this book here, this isn't just the musings of human beings, it's the Word of God. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. This is the second thing that I, I think needs to be drawn out from verse 13 here, that the Word of God needs to be proclaimed and it needs to be preached because it is the Word of God. The Bible is the word of God. Or to put it the way that the text does here, the word of God is the word of God. 
I love the way that I love the way that First Thessalonians thirteen reads here, and we thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as what it really is—the word of God. Paul is thankful because the Holy Spirit had so worked on these members of the Thessalonian church that they had realized that when he spoke, he wasn't just giving them his own ideas. He was telling them what God himself was speaking. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is saving. And this is why our church services must be structured around the proclamation of the word of God. This is why our missionaries must take the word of God Because when those who do not know encounter the word of God and the Holy Spirit works, that person is saved. That person is brought from death into life. That person is brought from darkness into light. That person is brought from bondage into freedom. And that happens every time the word of God is operated on by the Holy Spirit in the heart of the person that's hearing it. The word of God is so powerful. I was talking relatively recently to a friend of mine and he was talking about the church that he serves. And he's like, you know what? I think that we really need, I think that we really need revival here and renewal here. And so I'm doing everything I can to make sure that that happens. He's like, I'm trying to get us to repaint the sanctuary and for us to, to, to look differently here and for us to bring down a wall and for us to move the place where a cross is. And I just want people to get the sense that something's happening here. And I was like... My friend, if renewal is going to come, it's going to come by the word of God. It's not going to come by moving chairs around. It's not going to come through, through changing the sanctuary a little bit. It's going to come by the word of God. And, and the last thing that comes to us in this verse, verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The word of God needs to be proclaimed. The word of God is the word of God. And the word of God must do its work. Verse 13 ends with, which is at work in you believers. Paul says that the believers are those who have the word of God at work within them. That those who were in Thessalonica that were characterized by the word of God, that had heard it and received it, their life was characterized by being operated on by it. If you are a Christian, it means that the word of God is doing its work within you. We need to let it do its work. We need to see it for what it is and allow ourselves to be transformed by it. And Paul is filled with gratitude because they heard the message, because they received the message for what it really is, the word of God, and because it was at work within you. And let me speak personally this morning. Nothing would give me more joy than to see this in increasing measure in our midst. Nothing would give me more joy than for us to be a congregation which in greater measure longs to hear the word of God. Nothing would give me greater joy than for us to all own what it is that the scriptures are, not just the the musings of human beings, but the word of God. Nothing would give me greater joy than for us to be like, I own the message of that book and I've staked my life on it. And nothing would give me greater joy than for us to all live out what we're called to in the scriptures. 
And the Thessalonians received this message of the gospel at great cost because this gospel message meant that they would suffer. And this is the second part of what the text says to us this morning. Verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets and drove us out and displease and oppose all mankind. Here Paul seems to repeat another theme from the first chapter. The Thessalonian church received the gospel and became imitators of God. That's what verse 6 said in chapter 1. He says, you became imitators of God and of other churches. But here he's more specific. He says, they imitated other churches in their suffering. He says, Paul says, you received the gospel message as the word of God. You trusted in Jesus and then you suffered. Suffering was the way of things for those who were in the church as the church was beginning 2,000 years ago. 11 of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ, 11 of the 12 apostles died by execution at the hand of the state because they were preaching a different Lord than Caesar. Persecution and, and death because of faithful obedience to Christ were so common in the time of the early church that one leader in the early church, a man named Tertullian, wrote, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So common, did, so often did people lose their life for the sake of the gospel that the church had to develop a robust theology of martyrdom. And the Thessalonian church and the early church members said, that is worth it to trust in Jesus Christ. The gospel message is true and is potent and is worth staking our life on. And so we are willing to suffer to believe it and trust in Jesus. And we are willing to be obedient to the point of death, and through it. But this is a lived reality for many Christians today as well. The 20th century had within it more martyrs than all of the rest of the centuries of the church uh, combined. Christians today, all across the world, need to say the gospel is worth suffering for. You and I are blessed We don't face death today for being a Christian in the United States like so many of our brothers and sisters do across the globe. And yet sometimes, if you're like me, you might fear backlash for being a Christian, for believing Christian things. You and I need to say the same thing as the persecuted church today. You and I need to say the same thing that the church in Thessalonica said thousands of years ago. The gospel is worth suffering for. It's worth being socially ostracized for. It's worth losing friends for. It's worth losing your life for. It's worth being called a fundamentalist for it, or being called a radical for it, or being called a bigot for it, or being called weak for it, or any such thing. The message of the gospel is worth suffering for. And then there's a really challenging part of the text. The way that the text closes today. He says, for you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as to always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. This is a challenging section of the text, isn't it? 
This is a, a section of the text that some uh, commentators say, well, this is anti-Semitism. Some people say, you know, this was probably taken by somebody other than Paul and added to the text after the fact. That's not what happened, but anyway, you slice it, this is, this is a very difficult text. And let me just start by saying that anti-Semitism is something that is absolutely not acceptable for Christians. And Paul is, is not being anti-Semitic here. He, he's making a theological point, not an ethnic point here. But let me say it again. Anti-Semitism, not something that is acceptable for Christians. And throughout church's history, there have been some people that have misused sections of the text to try to speak ill of Jewish people, of ethnic Jews. I mean, some great heroes of the faith, actually. Martin Luther, as he approached the end of his life, wrote an absolutely horrendous tract called On the Jews and Their Lives, misapplying scripture to anti-Semitic ends. This is not how Christians are called to operate. And so let's be clear about what it is that Paul is doing here. Paul's not saying that ethnic Jews are the problem here. He's saying that the problem that the Thessalonian church is facing is the same problem that the church in Jewish areas are facing. Paul, in fact, makes it very clear that he's not an anti-Semitic man. In the, in the, the, the book of Romans, he talks about how his priority is to take the gospel message first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. He's speaking so positively of the Jews in Romans that he has to ask in Romans chapter 3, he's like, are we Jews better And then he has to say, no, we're both alike under sin. What he's saying here is, you know what? The way that the pagans are treating you is the way that Christians, under faithful believers, the ones that had followed the the way of God up until Jesus Christ, that's the way that these people are are treating. And he's making this theological point that, that the leaders of the Jewish people opposed Christ Jesus and that this is the same thing that some pagans are doing in the midst of the Thessalonian church. And he's saying that anyone that takes their stand against Jesus and that opposes the gospel message and that opposes Jesus, that anyone that opposes them, pagan, Gentile, Jewish leader, that any of them are are sinning and that the wrath of God is visited upon all those that oppose the gospel. That's what this is saying. Now, the way that the passage ends is to say this, but wrath has come upon them at last. That's a challenging phrase. It could mean a whole wide range of different things. But, but here's the, the basic point, that for anyone that opposes the message of the gospel, for anyone that opposes Christ Jesus, the displeasure and wrath of God is upon that person. This is a serious problem. And so I'm going to say something that may sound cruel today. I don't mean it to be unkind. If you're here today, and you don't trust in Jesus, if you're listening today, you don't believe in Jesus, or you're opposing the message of Jesus, or you're taking your stand against the message of Jesus, it means that God is displeased with you. It means that the wrath of God is is resting on you. But I want to give you a message of hope. The greatest thing in the world happened. Also the most tragic thing in the world. God the Father sent his son, his only son, you know, I have only one son now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give him up for you. I don't love you like God does. God sent his son for you and for me, for anyone that would trust in him. And the son of God, God himself, 
went to the cross. And you know what he did there? He bore the wrath of the Father. He said, if anyone's going to be found in me, there's no more wrath. No more wrath of the Father that is visited on that person. I take all of it. And as he suffered and died, Jesus Christ carried the sins of those that would trust in him and bore the wrath of the Father. And as he rose again from the dead, he, he promised that everyone that would trust in him, no more wrath now, nothing but life for those that trust in him. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter who you are today. If you trust in Jesus Christ, his death is for you. His resurrection is for you. And if you believe that message for what it is, the word of God, no more wrath, only the benediction of God, the blessing of God. And so please hear it today. Jesus saves. He saves from wrath. He saves from sin. And that's not my message That's the message of God for you today. Receive it for what it is. Trust in Christ Jesus and realize this is a message that is worth suffering for. Come, trust in Jesus. Know his forgiveness. No freedom from wrath. No freedom from bondage. Believe in him. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.